for tuning in here with us. We definitely appreciate you guys. We miss you guys and, and pray that you're all doing okay. Um, tonight, I want to just talk very briefly on a subject um, that's good for purposes of study, but not just study, but it's also good um, just to think about um, from a practical standpoint as well. If you'll turn with us to uh, Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Hebrews 2, 14. I was thinking about just um, our bodies and uh, just everything that goes into our bodies. And personally, I'm definitely, you know, tired and, and, and weak and uh, just definitely frail. And you think about other people who feel the exact same way. And, and it's just the, the vanity that lies within our, our human form. Um, even at a young age, it, you still kind of feel it, you know, the, uh, the emotion, the stress of life. And so tonight, just thinking about the incarnation of Christ, it's an amazing thing to think that he took on this form. You know, he took on the form of my flesh, and he lived a, a human life in, in our weak body. <clears throat> and, and through that, so many things were done for the cause of Christ. And so I just want to kind of reflect on that tonight and give you um, just a couple of reasons why Jesus came in the flesh. As we know, John 1.14 says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And, and so he, that specific word, became flesh. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You think about people nowadays, just the constant fear, the constant bondage, the constant control that that has over them. Verse 16, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. He calls us brothers, brothers, like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So just thinking of that thought there. Number one, Jesus Christ came specifically to confirm the promises of God. He came specifically to confirm the promises of God. If you go with me to Romans chapter 15, we'll turn to a number of places of Scripture tonight. Romans chapter 15, and in verse 8, it says this, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the Father. So number one, he came to confirm promises made specifically to the nation of Israel, those fathers, the patriarchs. But in verse 9, it says, And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, For this cause I will confess thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all ye, his gent all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And so us as the Gentile people, not having that, that Jewish race within us, we praise God for the mercy that overflowed specifically to us, for by grace are we saved. So number one, he came to confirm the promises to the Father as their chosen king. But he also came to pour out his mercy and grace specifically to the non-Jewish people. And that was the mystery. They weren't expecting it. They thought through his death that there would be no victory. And yet those things had to be fulfilled in order to fulfill all things. If you go to Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. We don't just see him as the as the sacrificial lamb, but in Isaiah 9, 6, prophetically it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There's some religions and denominations who believe that that the, the reign of Christ has already come, such as the Jehovah's Witnesses, but I don't know how you could look at the government and think that. For prophetically, we understand that Christ will reign, but he's going to reign through righteousness and judgment and his peace, the peace of his kingdom. There's going to be no end. And so specifically, we know that still has to come to pass. So number one, Jesus came to fulfill the promises. We think of one of the greatest ones in Genesis 3.15, how Satan's going to bruise his heel, but Christ is going to bruise his head, the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. Number two, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh in order to be a savior from sin and again, a king in his kingdom. You see him in the Old, or in the Old Testament prophetically as, a, as the sacrificial lamb, as Genesis chapter 22, when God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And as they're going up the mountain, Isaac asks the logical question to his father. We have the wood. We have, we have what we need for the kindling, but where is the lamb? And Abraham, through his faith, said, God will provide himself a lamb, that sacrificial lamb. If you go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. We don't just see him sacrificially through the Old Testament, but we also see him in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. You think about that. When Jesus told the disciples that they would eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, they looked at him as if he was talking about cannibalism, but he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about it in a, in a realm of a spiritual sense, how we're all baptized into Christ's body through his death. We partook in his flesh and his blood, and spiritually he attributes salvation to us. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. People in the Catholic Church that want to act like the, the wine is the blood of Christ or the, or the bread is the actual body of that, that can't save you. That's just physical provision. Those things can't guarantee your salvation. But we understand spiritually we have partook in the Lord's body. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, we understand that Christ is the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of the church by which all the apostles and prophets and pastors and everybody are built upon. He came as the sacrificial lamb, but not just that. He also came to fulfill the promises as a king specifically to the Jews. We understand in Matthew chapter 1, he says that he was the son not only of David, but also of Abraham. So number one, we see that he was come to, as, as we talked about from Isaiah, to sit in that the seed of David to rule Israel as the righteous, rightful king. So prophetically, we see that come to pass. In Luke chapter 1, verse 32, the angel says that he's going to give unto him the throne of his father, David throne of his father David. Matthew 15, 24, it says that he went to the lost uh, sheep of the house of Israel. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But one day he's going to come back and he's going to establish that righteous rule. So we see, number one, that he came to confirm God's promises. Number two, he came as a savior of sin, from sin and a, a king to his kingdom. But number three, he came to reveal the father. In the Old Testament, God the father, you know, that was one of the questions that we received, whether or not the God of the old was different than the God of the new. In the Old Testament, we see God as creator. We see him as governor. We see him in his holiness, the, the executing of his wrath. We see God's omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. We see those certain attributes. And we see glimpses of his holiness. If you turn with me to Exodus 19 really quick. Exodus 19, verse 22. Exodus 19, 22. As God was going to give 
the information to Moses as he ascended up into the mount. This is the warning he gave in Exodus 19.22. He says, And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. You think about that. He says they have to sanctify themselves because if they get too close and they're not clean, the Lord's glory, his holiness, his righteousness will literally break forth upon them and it will kill them. He told the nation of Israel not even to approach to the base part of the mount because whatever animal or whatever person touches that mount, as he gave Moses the commandments, they will surely die. You think about God and his holiness. But a great thing to, to think about in connection with that is John chapter 1, John 1, 18. Just want to give you a few pieces of scripture tonight. John chapter 1, verse 18. I'll start reading for sake of time. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So we understand that Jesus Christ came to reveal the Father, the holiness that cannot be touched, the holiness that cannot be seen. God has revealed him unto us by his Son. But we also see not only his righteousness, his holiness, but we see God's character. God in all his holiness still loved us for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We understand by reading the Gospels that Christ. For God, the Father specifically, his eye is on the sparrow. God cares about the sparrow. The hairs of your head are numbered. God cares about us, and as Psalm says, as a father pitieth his children, God the Father looks upon us. And we see that specifically through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Number four, he came to be a faithful high priest. If you go to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself is also compassed with infirmity. So he said at the time, when they had priests in the nation of Israel, they can empathize, sympathize, relate to the sins of the people because they themselves are men. Verse 3, And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself, to be made in high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. So just in, as in the Old Testament, as the priest had to be confirmed through that Levitical tribe, God confirmed Christ as he declared him to be the son. So he became a great high priest to us. The last two things here we'll look at is he came to put away sin. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Matthew, Mark chapter 10, and verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. To give his life a ransom for many. We understand in Isaiah 53 that the iniquities of the entire world were laid upon him. They were all put upon him. And we understand that he took that upon himself to take away sin. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. We understand that where there is the law, sin is imputed, but where there is no law, sin is not imputed. We understand that Jesus Christ came not to destroy, but to fulfill the law, to lift the curse, as Galatians 4 tells us. And since we are not under the law, sin is not imputed. We have nothing but righteousness imputed to us by the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lastly, we see that he came to destroy the works of the devil. If you go to 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, we'll start reading in verse 8, 1 John chapter 3. In verse 8, he that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. 
Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. You see his works manifested everywhere. But thank God that he came, that he destroyed sin, that he removed that from us. And because he came first as our Savior, he can come again to give salvation specifically to everybody in general. Go, go lastly with me to one more verse here. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28. It says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now Hebrews is looking at it from a prophetical stance, saying that Christ came first to offer himself as the ransom, to sacrifice himself for the sins of the people, and because he did that, he earned the right to sit at the right hand of God, and he makes intercession for us. But one day, those enemies are going to be destroyed, and he's going to come back, as we know prophetically from Revelation, and he's going to rule and reign, and he's going to destroy once and for all the false prophet, the beast, as well as the devil, as they're cast into the lake of fire. And we enter into that new heaven and new earth. So many good things came from the incarnation. We just praise God that though he was equal with God, he, he humbled himself and took upon him the form of a servant, became like one of us, this weak, frail self, this weak, tired, death-decaying body. He became like us so that we might have hope through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right. Well, thank you, Brother Tyler. I appreciate the word there. And we're just going to get into the next message without delay. If you will, take your Bible and turn with me to the New Testament, to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. And we're going to look at uh, just a few of passages of Scripture that really speak to my heart. As we close out the revival, I want to end it on a note of just rejoicing and praising the Lord. And I want to encourage you with this thought of just how each and every night it's been filled with the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. And so tonight I want to focus our attention on the subject of why we need more preachers. Why we need more preachers. And so I pray that this would be a blessing to you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 14, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. Father, we pray that you would help us to be ready to preach the gospel. Help us to be able to give an account. Lord, to be able to answer. Lord, to be able to stand. God, I pray that you'd help us anoint our lips. God, may with our feet, may we go forth and bring the good tidings. God, I pray that this church and your people would be known for preaching and teaching the Word of God. We do love you. We thank you for this great opportunity. May it not fall upon deaf ears tonight, but may someone be encouraged. God, as we close out this week, what a privilege it is to be able to teach and preach the Word of God. We love you. It's the greatest gift that you've given to mankind. God, thank you so much. Thank you for the preachers in my life. Thank you for uh, the teachers, the Bible teachers in my life that have encouraged me. God, we pray that you'd help us to do that very same thing. We love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Bible preaching should do four things. Number one, it should confront. Number two, it should convict. Number three, it should convert. And number four, it should comfort. Someone said that true preaching comes when the loving heart and the disciplined mind are laid at the disposal of the Holy Ghost. Preaching stands as the event through which God works. Let me just give you some thoughts. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 10 and verse 42, And He commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that He which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. The Bible says in First. Corinthians chapter 1 verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, but unto the Greeks foolishness. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration and of power of the Holy Spirit. Of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, and which also you received, and wherein you stand. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 11, Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preached, and so you believe. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, For we preached not ourselves, amen, but Jesus Christ, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant for Jesus' sake. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 16 through verse 17, and that, he, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were far off, and to them that were not. Thank God for old time Bible preaching. Men that love the book, men that's going to preach the book, men that's going to herald forth leather lungs, lift, a, uh, lift up their voice to the heavens, and declare the word of God. Preachers need to preach. And we need churches that have preachers to preach the word of God. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What a blessing it is to be a preacher. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. Whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we might present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. It's a holy calling. It's a blessed calling. It's a wonderful calling. It's a fruitful calling. It's something that God Himself enables each and every preacher to take the Word of God as unworthy as we are and to declare the truth of God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, the Bible says, Preach the word, not your opinion, not your ideology, not your philosophy, but preach the book, preach the word of God. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all own suffering and doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 17, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, amen, that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Thank God for preachers. Thank God for the Holy Spirit that stands with them. Thank the Lord for the enabling. Thank God for the anointing. Thank God for the touch. Thank God for the conviction. Thank God for the comforting. We need preachers. There's so many things that we have in our church. Most definitely, there's a need for some of those things. But the most important thing is the preaching of God's Word. All of these other things are secondary to the pinnacle of God's ministry. And that's the preaching and teaching of His Word. Just to give you a few more verses, if you don't have enough. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1, it says, Preach good tidings. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 2, Preaching in Nineveh. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, Christ preached repentance. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 7, Preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 27, Preach upon the housetops. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 1, Preach in your city. Mark chapter 1 and verse 4, John the Baptist preached in the wilderness. Mark uh, chapter 1 and verse 32, go to the next town and preach there also. He says in Luke chapter 20 and verse 1, preach in the temple. Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, preaching daily. Acts chapter 8 and verse 40, preach in all the cities. Acts chapter 14 and verse 25, preaching in Perga. Acts chapter 10 and verse 42, to preach unto the people. Romans chapter 10 and verse 8, to preach the word of faith. 
can we say that there's a consistency of God's word, that it needs to be declared, that it needs to be uplifted, that it needs to be proclaimed, to lift your voice and with joy to serve the Lord and to preach. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, preach Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, Paul said, Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And praise the Lord, we have the opportunity to preach Christ crucified and how God has saved us and through His death, His burial, and His resurrection to go into the heathen, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 16, and preach, to preach among the Gentiles in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 2. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8 tells us to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. I am so grateful to be a preacher. And uh, since I was 14 years old, God had called me to preach. And uh, 40 years old, standing before you tonight, what a privilege it is to preach on the street, the street corner. What a privilege it is to preach in a nursing home. What a privilege it is to have a, a children's ministry and preach at a park or a vacation Bible school. What a privilege it is to preach uh, uh, here tonight in front of this little screen and talking to the masses and hopefully that God would stir our hearts once again in America to love and enjoy and desire and covet and want and wish for and pray for old-timey preaching. Number one, what does preaching do? It proclaims. The proclamation of preaching we need to be reminded of what that really means. We've got so-called men of God today that want to sit behind a small little coffee table and talk. I hate when preachers stand up and they say, I'm going to speak to you. I'm not a speaker. I, I, I wasn't called to speak. I, I'm not a dog. Speak, puppy, speak. I'm a preacher. And God calls us to preach. We're to preach the Word of God. The word preach, it means to cry out. It means to herald forth. It means to exhort. It means to utter. It means to proclaim. And we are to preach the Word in the flesh. As we think about we live in this body and we are to be blameless. We are to be sinless. We, we, we are to uh, uh, rise above the nature that we have and uh, to be uh, a representation of what God would want us to be, uh, to be without reproach. And to take this book and in our flesh to preach the word. But not only to preach the word, but to preach the word of the flesh of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for you and I. I like John chapter 1 and verse 14. The word was made flesh. The Bible says uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Again, without controversy, great is the mystery of Godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. What a privilege it is to be able to manifest the Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty, in our flesh through the preaching and the teaching to proclaim the truth of God's Word. And I'm so grateful to be a preacher. Number two, there's power in preaching. There's power in preaching. There's not power in sermons or sermonettes. There's not power in outlines. There's not power in a three-point literated message, but there's power when the man of God gets in the Word of God and he searches the deep things of God. He prays and he begs God for touch and anointing. He prays to the people and prays the Lord down through my life and hopefully down through your life. You've seen some preaching. You've been in services where it was so thick, the conviction and the, and the speaking and the wooing of the Holy Spirit and God spoke to you specifically and you moved upon that request of the Holy Ghost and God led you to a decision. And that day you accepted Christ as your Savior. Or that day you gave your life uh, to the ministry. Or that day you rededicated your life. Or that day you said, Lord, here's everything that I have. 
Use me in totality. Here's my life. And it's through the power of preaching. I love Paul as he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. His preaching was composed. His preaching was made up of. His preaching was consumed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us get back to the purity of the gospel. It's still the power of Jesus that saves. It's still the power of the preaching of the gospel that convicts. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. There's power in the scriptures. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 29. And Jesus said unto them, Ye do error, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Thank the Lord for His power. Power, power, wonder-working power. There's power in the blood. And we thank God there's the ability to preach. Power to save. The Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 12, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Thank the Lord for an old-fashioned Bible-believing, Bible-preaching preacher who heard forth the truth of God's Word. He wasn't going to apologize about it. wasn't going to be ashamed of it. He wasn't going to tuck, tell, and run and hide. He was going to stand on a stump. He was going to stand on a log. He was going to stand on a, on a rock. He was going to stand on a platform. He was going to stand behind a pulpit of wood. These preachers that have these white uh, little glass pulpits... Man, hey, I'm glad I've got a pulpit of wood. We're trying to be Bible uh, believers around here. That's biblical. Amen. A pulpit of wood. And they preach. They preach. The Bible says in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. There's been a number of times I've looked out, and there's been people that I've preached to that have been mad at me, so mad at me, they could, they could run over me, they could back over me with their car, they could burn me with their eyes and the glares that they look Look, give me and look at me because a preacher preaching the truth of God's word. They can't get mad at God. They can't see God. They get mad at the preacher. And what do you do? You have to say, Lord, for God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power. And in this moment, I need your power. And I need your touch. And Lord, help me to love them and help me to be of a sound mind and help me to, to be reminded that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. But Lord, help me to be a preacher, the preacher, the man of God that you've called me to be. And God, help me not to back down from this but to have a spirit of humbleness and, and, and humility and, and to know that I need you. And Lord, I need you every hour. God, please just give me the words to say and the spirit in which to say them. And, and, and yet to have all of that summed up with preaching. God, help me to preach. Can I say number three? We also know in our day and age there's a lot of pollution in preaching. There's uh, people that want to take the Bible and give false advice. I heard someone say you need to give a pastor a raise for every time he kicks out a wolf in his church. I don't know if that's truth or not, but I, I think there's a good point that needs to be made there. And that is a preacher, a pastor needs to be on guard. How do we be on guard? How are we on guard? We're on guard by exalting and magnifying the Word, by studying the Word to know uh, what's going on amongst our people and in the house of God and to declare the Word of God that we might be able to give uh, a safety to the sheep. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through verse 9, I marvel that you are so removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which 
We have preached unto you. Well, preacher, I want to go to church and hear something new. There's a lot of new things in the Bible that we could preach about, but it's going to come from the same old book. And it's not some new message. It's not some new philosophy. It's not some new uh, uh, doctrine. We're going to get the doctrine from God's old Bible. Amen. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying that the Lord bought them and bring upon them swift destruction. And many shall follow in their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And I want to leave you with this last point tonight, hopefully on a high note and a word of encouragement. Number five, pray for your preacher. Pray for your preachers. Pray for the men of God. We covet your prayers. We need your prayers. This is not an easy job. It's something that demands a great deal of respect and attention to detail. And it, uh, there's a, a large element of study and preparation and, and devotion and heart. And let me remind you that preachers are just human like you are human. And, 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 and we still battle sometimes with the flesh and sin. And, and we've got to uh, live before a holy and a just God and, and fall before the Lord. And sometimes uh, a preacher is preaching with... Uh, one finger pointing out to the crowd, but really three are pointing back at him. You need to pray for your preacher. Pray for your preacher. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3 through verse 4, with all praying always for us that God will open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in bonds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Pray for your preacher. Pray that God would give an open door. Pray that God would... Help him to make full proof of his ministry. Help uh, pray for your preacher that God will give him wisdom and discernment as he works and ministers and sometimes counsels and sometimes even rebukes or addresses certain issues in the church. That God would give him a discernment. That God would give him a sense of uh, scriptural understanding and how to apply the scriptures and these old proverbs that we find in the Old Testament and, and uh, taking these golden nuggets and laying them out in a very direct and yet Loving way sometimes with people pray for your preacher. We need prayer more today than we've ever needed prayer before in our lives. As uh, uh, things could be coming down the pipeline. And Lord, we pray that you would help our church and, and the preachers all across America to stand and, and to proclaim the truth and, and to serve you. Someone said when a church seeks a pastor, they often want a pastor who has the strength of an eagle, the grace of a swan, the gentleness of a dove, the friendliness of a catbird, the cheerfulness of a robin, the assurance of a barnyard fowl, the patience of a buzzard, and the night hours of an owl. I said all that to say this. Pray for your preacher. Hey, praise the Lord that you and I can be a part of a good Bible-believing church. You go to the hospital and your preacher is there by your side. You uh, have a request and, and you bring it before the preacher's attention and, and the, the pastor's attention and uh, to go through those things. And as the Bible says, to bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of the Lord. You know, it's a blessing to be friends with Bible preachers. Preachers need friends. This man needs friends and I need friends. And I hope that uh, our church family... Uh, uh, and I feel that our church family loves us as friends. I do. And, and I say all that to say sometimes uh, 
It's a hard road to walk. It's a hard road to stand on. It's, it's, a, it's a, a calling. It's a ministry that sometimes you find late nights and early mornings and, and your heart feels like it's in your Adam's apple because you're carrying the, the, the care and the, and the worry and the, and the anxiety of each and every person in the house of God. You know what's going on in this person's life. And, and you're praying for a situation over here. And, and you're going home and trying not to bring all of that as a burden to your family. And, and you're trying God, to deal with it in a scriptural manner, even in your thinking. And, and you just know that you need help. And, and I said all that to say, pray for your preachers. Pray for your preachers. We need more preachers. It's a dying breed. Preachers are a dying breed. And we need preachers to be called and be sent out. And our churches uh, uh, need young men to, to accept the call and it's not all bad. and There's a lot of good things about it. And praise the Lord. It, these lot of afflictions that we endure uh, are but for a moment. And in light of Calvary, we could suffer even more for the cause of Christ. Pray for your preachers. Pray for your preachers. Missionaries across the ocean. Missionaries next door in Canada and Mexico. Missionaries even in, in America. Missionaries church planners in our country dealing with certain things and trying to start ministries and trying to bring people together and trying to, to get a work going on. I, I, I was reminded today of a, a, a pastor in Atlanta and he's trying to build a new building and he needs $350,000 and praying for all of these things and working through these things. And uh, we need prayer. We need prayer. We need prayer. Oh God, would you pray tonight for your preaching? For your pastor. For the man of God. Do you know someone tonight. That's called of God to preach. That's not preaching. I'll tell you a little testimony. About my own life. I had a business. With six, seven, eight men. Working for me in Knoxville, Tennessee. I was married to my wife. For about two years. Three years. We were going to church. Faithfully. God had called me to preach and I knew there was more for my life than that business. An aunt of mine who is lost even to this day. I went home and I saw my parents and I sat across the table from my lost aunt. And I hadn't seen this lost aunt in years. And she said to me, Nathan, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I own a business, but I know God has called me to preach. And he wants me to be a pastor. And she began to talk to me about it. And there that day, God began to speak to my heart. And she said, Nathan, have you, have you gotten a resume together? And I said, no, I haven't. She said, have you made any calls? And she's a lost woman, not knowing exactly all the ins and outs of how church functions and, and, and how they would call a pastor in and this and that. But she's using these uh, worldly terminologies because they make sense. And uh, she, do you have a resume? Have you, have you called any Christian religious organizations to to make a, a, some kind of a, a conference where you could talk to them and present who you are. And no, I haven't done any of those things. Have you reached out to any churches? Have you talked to your pastor about uh, pastoring a church? No, no, I really haven't. I haven't done anything. And there that day I went on my way and God began to convict me through the words of a lost woman. There's more to life than just material gain. And if you're called to preach, don't waste it. Don't waste it. I worked with a man, he was probably 70 years old at the time, and this was probably 15 years ago. 15, 16 years ago. And he said to me, after four or five months of getting to know him, he came to me in, in private. 
And he said to me, Nathan, I want to talk to you about something. And I said, what's that? And he said, years ago when I was a young man, just like you, God called me to preach. He said, I ran from it. I told the Lord no. I got into drugs and alcohol. He said, to this day, I don't even go to church. When I lay my head on my pillow at night, God speaks to me. You could have given your life to me. You could have served me with your life. If you're listening tonight, God wants you to preach, then all I can say is preach. If you don't have a place to preach, find a place to preach. Our country needs preachers. Our church needs preachers. We need it. Why? Because it's, it's the magnifying. It's the uplifting. It's the teaching of God's Word. Our Heavenly Father, tonight we love You. God, we pray that You would help our church to grow. Lord, during this time, it seems like a drought. You can do marvelous things. Lord, we know the first 40 years of Moses' life spent in luxury. Yet the second 40 years Wandering, working, living in the desert. That's really where you begin to work in his life. God, I know there's a lot of people that think we're going through the desert. I know there's a lot of worry and fear about the economical struggle and issues of our country. Lord, people afraid of losing their jobs and afraid of getting this virus and afraid of of all these physical things. And I understand it. I get it. Lord I pray that you would help us. Through all of these times. To seek you. To trust you. Our churches. Lord need preachers. God I pray once again. That your power. And your will. And your presence. Would be made known. In our country. Help us to proclaim the truth. Help us. To do it with love in our heart. But dignity to the word of God. Without apology to anything that's said, God help us to serve you. And Lord, I want to say thank you. Lord, thank you for my dad who years ago when I watched him preach. Lord, as a little boy, you stirred my heart. God, I pray for my boys tonight that you do that same thing. If not calling them to preach, God, may they have desire for your word. Oh, God. May we love this book. God, I pray that you would help us to live it in our homes. Lord, there's temptation all around us. God, we need you tonight to be faithful. To help us to be faithful to the call that you've called us to. Lord, thank you for calling me to be a preacher. I do love you. And I do praise you. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.